you want to turn in your Bibles to the book of Nahum, it's the next one that we come to in our Minor Prophet series. And we'll go ahead and read the first few verses there. The title of this message is The Doom of Nineveh. Another title that I toyed with was Jonah's Dream Come True. Because <laughs> this is the same city that we dealt with in the days of Jonah about 150 years before. So let's read a few verses here to set the stage of Nahum, chapter 1, verse 1. The burden of Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum the Elkishite. Listen to the language now. God is jealous, and the Lord revengeth. The Lord revengeth and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries, and he reserveth wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power and will not at all acquit the wicked. The Lord hath his way in the whirlwind and in the storm and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebuketh the sea and maketh it dry and drieth up all the rivers. Bashan languisheth and Carmel and the flower of Lebanon languisheth. The mountains quake at him and the hills melt and the earth is burned at his presence. Yea, the world and all that dwell therein. Who can stand before his indignation and who can abide in the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire, and the rocks are thrown down by him. As I read that, it made me wonder if this is not something very similar to what Jonah said when he went into the city of Nineveh 150 years before. It's not recorded all that he said, but it is recorded that Jonah said 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. Here we have some very specific language about the Lord and his character and how he will not be mocked. And as we look at verse 1, the first thing we want to note is that it says the burden of Nineveh. And again, this is that same city that turned 150 years before at the preaching of Jonah. But in this situation, we find 150 years later, they don't turn. Okay. Now, I've thought, how can I convey to you, to us, the significance of what happened with Nineveh. I hope we can as we look at this, but Nineveh was the metropolis of the world. It was the greatest city on the planet at the time it was destroyed. And the Lord so thoroughly destroyed Nineveh, according to the scripture, the prophecy here, and according to how it went down, how it was destroyed, that it, it was lost from history for a long time. They didn't discover the ruins of Nineveh until like the 1840s. This is, by the way, this is one of those things that the naysayers of the Bible would say, well, the Bible can't be accurate because there's no record of Nineveh. And then archaeology caught up with the Bible and they found Nineveh, okay? So notice it says the burden of Nineveh. That word burden is significant because it means doom, or it comes from a word that means to pay tribute, to pay something that is owed. So I thought of the, the phrase, time to pay the piper. It literally means Nineveh's debt is being collected. The burden of Nineveh is going to be paid back to the Lord for all that Nineveh has done. So who was Nahum? Nahum, we don't know a whole lot about him, but his name means to, to comfort or one who is comforted. And very little is known about him. It is believed that he was from Judah, from that area, which is significant because in the days of Nahum is when one of the kings of 
Nineveh came against the city. If you may recall from reading in the days of Hezekiah when the crier went on the wall and began to blaspheme the name of God in front of all the people. And of course, you know, that's when God sent an angel out and killed 185,000 of the Assyrians, which is those were the ones that were from Nineveh. That was under King Sennacherib. Also in the book of Nahum, he references the city of Noaman, which is thought to be the city of Thebes from Egypt. And he references the destruction of that city, which was, had happened not far before Nahum. Thebes down in Egypt had been destroyed, and he references that, so that's kind of how we know his time frame. But without question, this is before the fall of Nineveh, he predicts some very specific things. Now I want you to think about the fall of some great cities. Back in the days of the Civil War, Atlanta was burned by General Sherman. I mean, it was a a wiping out of that city. You think of, if you know anything about history, of the fall of Rome in the 5th century. You know, Rome did not really go down in some great battle. The barbarians, as they called them, it was some of your ancestors probably from Germany and other places. (laughs) But the barbarians, they called them, just basically walked into the city and sacked the city with little or no resistance because nobody cared anymore. Nobody cared about Rome anymore. It is said in one of the histories that when the barbarians came into the Senate or into the Congress of of Rome at that time, the Senate, that many of the senators just sat at their tables, sat at their desk, and they just slaughtered them one after the other, just staring blankly because nobody cared about Rome anymore. You think about in the days of the Vietnam War, the fall of Saigon was a tremendous fall when the the Americans pulled out of Saigon. It made me think of the fall of Afghanistan, how we pulled out of Afghanistan, and in two or three days, that place was overrun with wicked men. And even greater than all of those that I mentioned and many others maybe that you could think of, even greater than that was the fall of Nineveh. This was a an amazing city. The history of Nineveh, it it was, at the time, it was one of the oldest cities in the world. It might have been the oldest, okay? Maybe Babylon could compete with it, but Nineveh, which was founded in the days of Nimrod, way back in the book of Genesis, it had been around a long time. And all of those thousands of years had passed, and Nineveh had just consistently committed wickedness after wickedness. If you know anything about other um, sources of history, like the Code of Hammurabi, in 2200 BC, the Code of Hammurabi mentions, talks about the city of Nineveh. You come on down later than that in the 800s BC, you find that Israel begins to come into contact with this expanding world power of Nineveh, the Assyrian Empire. They were vicious. I don't know if you remember some of the stuff I shared with you when we talked about Jonah, how vicious they were, how cruel they were. And you you read about in some of the histories of Nineveh that survive, they mention Ahab, the king of Israel. They mention Jehu. Around 700 BC is whenever the account with Hezekiah occurred. And, And Nineveh's just winding down. It's winding down. So sometime in the 700s BC is probably when Jonah went there and you know, they repented in those days. But then another 150 years goes by and the time is up. There's, there's no turning this time. And I want you to notice in chapter 1 of, of Nahum, I want you to notice in verse 8 how the Lord spells out the utter destruction of this city. 
This is the greatest city on the – think about New York. Think about San Francisco. Think about L.A. You know, think about Baghdad. Think other greats – London. You know, think about the great cities of the world. And if you suddenly got word that it had been wiped out – and I don't just mean – obviously a nuclear bomb could wipe out a city, no question. But they didn't have a nuclear bomb in these days. But this city was wiped out in a very short period of time. And the people that, that survived, the few that survived, just fled into different areas. And the place was gone. Nothing left of it, just burned to the ground. Very similar to what happened at Jerusalem in AD 70. Wiped to, down clean to the ground. So look at verse 8 of chapter 1. It says, But with an overrunning flood, He, God, will make an utter end of the place thereof, and darkness shall pursue His enemies. It says there would be an utter end. Notice that. Also it says in verse 9, what do ye imagine against the Lord? He will make an utter end. You hear that? Affliction shall not rise up the second time. There won't be a second chance at this. There'll be one assault and this place will be gone. But watch verse 10. For while they be folded together as thorns. You know, you ever tried to pull, when thorns get grow, grown together, you got to try to pull them apart. They're so locked tight. You think there's no way that this place can be destroyed. He says, while they are folded together as thorns, and while they are drunken as drunkards, they shall be devoured as stubble fully dry. When the excavators, the archaeologists, excavated Nineveh, they found large deposits of ash where the place had just been burnt to a crisp. Look at verse 12. Thus saith the Lord, though they be quiet, and likewise many, though there's a multitude, there was many, many Ninevites, a great army, yet thus shall they be cut down when he shall pass through there would be a de complete destruction regardless of how many numbers there were in Nineveh. You remember the Lord with one angel slew 185,000 of the Ninevites when they came against Jerusalem. Now I want to read to you from a, a wonderful commentary that I've been reading on the Minor Prophets, and this one is specifically about Nineveh. I want you to hear this as we read from a man who did an exhaustive study of the book of Nahum. His name was Walter Mayer, and this is a quote from his study on the book of Nahum. It says, To Nineveh came the distant chieftains who kissed the royal feet. Rebel leaders paraded in fetters, that means in chains. Distant and deceitful kings tied with dog chains and made to live in kennels. To Nineveh were sent gifts of far-off tribute, heads of vanquished enemies, crowned princes as hostages, beautiful princesses as concubines. In Nineveh, rulers who experienced rare mercy carried brick and mortar for building operations. Their recalcitrant captives were flayed. That means they were skinned alive, filleted or flayed. Obstinate opponents crushed to death by their own sons. The Nineveh against which the prophet thunders divine denunciation had become the concentrated center of evil, the capital of crushing tyranny, the epitome of cruelest torture. Before the beginning of the 7th century in Sennacherib's reign, which was one of the last kings, that's the king that came against Hezekiah, other cities had been, had been royal residences, Kala, Asher, Dur, Sharukan. But Sennacherib made Nineveh his capital, the world metropolis, the source of unmeasured woe for Judah as for other far greater nations. This great city had existed almost from the beginning of time. Under Sennacherib, it rose to unparalleled strength and splendor, but it was to end. Within 90 years of Sennacherib's encampment before Jerusalem's walls, less than 100 years, Nineveh, the largest city in the world, was overthrown, never to be inhabited again, and it has never been inhabited since the days that the Lord destroyed the city. 
You talk about an utter destruction. So the Lord is done with Nineveh. This is not a good place to be as a society when the Lord is done with you. Look at verse 14 of the first chapter. It says, The Lord hath given commandment concerning thee that no more of thy name be sown. That means that there would be no descendants. There are no Ninevites around today. There's nobody that goes around saying, well, you know, I come from Nineveh. I started thinking about that. You know, there would be people around alive today that if they could trace their ancestry far enough back, they could say, well, I had ancestors that lived in Nineveh. But nobody knows that. See, it's so utterly removed from history that, you know, I can tell you, well, the Springer side of my family, you know, sounds like they came from Germany. And I can say, well, the McCool side of my family, it looks like they came from, you know, Scotland, Ireland, you know, somewhere over there. But nobody says, well, you know, this side of my family came from Nineveh. It's gone. Okay? The Lord said you would have no descendants from Nineveh. Out of the house of thy gods will I cut off the graven image and the molten image. I will make thy grave, and thou art vile. The Lord is going to cause Nineveh to be dead and buried. Now, the reason I belabor this and want to put this in front of you is because I want you to understand how the Lord feels about wickedness. You know, we look around us and we say, look at the horrible crimes. Look at the horrible looting. Look at the child abuse. Look at the terrible drug use and drug activity that goes on in some of these great cities. You know, the, you know Chicago, I think, is uh, you know, one of the murder capitals of the world. And we think, wow, oh, how can the Lord let this go on? Well, the mind of the Lord is beyond your mind and my mind, but I can assure you He will not let it go on. It will either, he will either call the debt in of that wicked city, whatever the city is, he will call it in in this lifetime, in real time, if you will. The Lord will either do that sometime you know, while there is time still going on, or at the end of time, he will completely judge it. You see? So don't think for a second that anybody's getting away with anything. You know, the children of God, of course, covered by the blood of the Lamb. But we're not talking about in turn, just specific individual children of God. We're talking about the general wickedness of a terrible place like Nineveh. The Lord is going to dig the grave of Nineveh and bury it. The word right there where it says they were vile, he says, I will make thy grave, verse 14, for thou art vile. That word vile means light. It's the same word that's used in Daniel, the fifth chapter, whenever the, the handwriting appeared on the wall to the king. And he wrote, many, many, tickle a parson, whatever the whole thing was there. And the interpretation that Daniel gave was, thou art weighed in the balance and found wanting. It's the same definition of wanting. It means your light. It means they were immoral. They had no morals. Anything goes. Does any of this sound familiar? <laughs> they lived in a society where anything goes. Truth was relative to whoever and whatever they needed it to be. Verse 15, he says, behold, does this sound familiar? From Isaiah 40 and also from the book of Romans 10. Behold upon the mountains the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace. Now how in the world could that be inserted in the middle of all this? Because the prophet is from Judah, remember? And Assyria, Nineveh, had afflicted Judah for all those many years. And he says, behold, this is a good message. This is good to know. It should be a relief to you to know that the Lord will not let the wickedness of the world continue indefinitely. That should be a relief. Now, we are very quick to step in the, sh the shoes of judgment, are we not? <laughs> you know, we say, those wicked people over there, that wicked city over there. You've got to remember that true judgment starts with self-judgment, right? You have to look at yourself. But 
if we look at ourselves and we self-judge and we say, I'm a sinner, I need to repent, I need to fix this, I need to do better in this particular area of my life or that particular area, but we are, we are authorized to look at something that's immoral or wicked and say, this is wicked, this is bad. <laughs> so we can look at a city like Nineveh and say, what goes on there is terrible. The Lord help me not to fall into that kind of temptation. Now, chapter 2, I'm not going to spend too much time in chapter 2, but I encourage you to read it. Because chapter 2 describes the actual fall of Nineveh. If you'll read it carefully, you'll find that it, it describes Nineveh preparing for the invasion that's about to occur. It describes Nineveh's first sight of the enemy armies coming to the city. It describes the chariots of the enemy overrunning the suburbs outside the major main city walls. And these city walls were tremendous. I talked to you about those when we looked at Jonah. But just remember, it's believed that two or three chariots could you know, run abreast of each other or meet each other on the city walls. The city walls were possibly 60 miles around. It describes the defense of the city walls. It also describes in chapter 2 that the river that surrounded or went around part of Nineveh, that the river flooded. And did you know that's a historically accurate fact when it comes to the destruction of Nineveh? I'll share that with you in just a minute. It also talks about the plunder of the city after they, it fell, that there was no... Listen to this, this is crazy. Nineveh was one of the most rich cities on the planet. It was the richest city on the planet at the time that it was destroyed. The reason it was so rich is because they had plundered other nations. You know, you can read about some of that, how they took tribute. They had tax money paid from like places like Jerusalem or Israel or Judah in, for them to stay out and not destroy them. It even says at one point, I think it was one of the kings of Judah who took some gold out of the temple and gave it to the Ninevites so they would go away. <laughs> and you know how much gold and silver... When the archaeologists dug up Nineveh, you know how much gold and silver was found? None. Not one penny was found in Nineveh. Because the Lord said, there'll be no reason to go back there when I'm through with that place. So the archaeologists, you know, you can imagine, you know, if you've ever seen Indiana Jones movies, you know, they're always looking for the gold. They're always looking for something valuable, you know? And you can imagine when the archaeologists started digging, they were thinking, we're going to find all kinds of money, gold, silver, coins. They found nothing. Because the Lord said Nineveh would be plundered like it plundered other nations. Historically accurate. Verse 13 of chapter 2 says, Behold, I am against thee, saith the Lord of hosts. Now when, when the Lord's against you, that's a bad thing. <laughs> it's a bad thing. So the Lord is against Nineveh. And chapter 2 describes the actual fall, what happened, what it looked like, like a battle scene. Now chapter 3, that's where we're going to spend the rest of our time. Chapter 3 describes some other things that are very important. But the, the thing I want you to notice to begin with in chapter 3 is in, in the last verse, verse 19. He says, there's no healing of thy bruise. Thy wound is grievous. All that hear the brute or the rumor, that's what brute means. All that hear the brute of thee shall clap the hands over thee. Did you hear that? It's going to be applause. Nineveh's destroyed. Isn't that cool? <laughs> there would be applause. Well, you know that's not going to be the people that are getting destroyed. And you know it's not going to be the, uh, the enemy that's attacking to destroy it because they're too busy plundering. So who is, who is giving applause here? You'll see in just a minute. There's applause going on. 
like there's this great play playing out before the eyes of someone and they're very pleased with the destruction of this wicked city. There's great applause. And of course, you can imagine there would be applause whenever nations that had been destroyed and plundered by Assyria, they hear that Nineveh is destroyed. You can, you can think they would be like, praise God, you know, this, this place is destroyed. So in chapter 3, I want you to notice how there are several different things that he points out about why Nineveh is destroyed. Okay, he says, woe to the bloody city. It's a very bloody, violent city. Notice it says it is full of lies and robbery. The prey departeth not. The noise of a whip and the noise of the rattling of the wheels and of the prancing horses and of the jumping chariots. By the way, the book of Nahum has got some of the most beautiful poetic language of the Old Testament. The horsemen lifted up both the bright sword and the glittering spear. And there is a multitude of slain and a great number of carcasses. And there is none end of their corpses so that they stumble upon their corpses. This is not talking about whenever it dies, when the city dies. It's talking about the way that the city, the people of the city, the armies and the the politicians and the merchants and all of them had conducted themselves. They just destroyed people. They were violent. And every great society or culture or nation that has suffered great fall, one of the characteristics of that is it has always been a violent nation that was filled with violence. So, I want you to notice how this corresponds with something that's found over in the book of Revelation. If you'll turn over there to Revelation, the 17th chapter. In Revelation 17, you have the account or the description by John, the revelator, of another great city that falls. We pick up in Revelation 17... Let's read in verse 3. He says, So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints, and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. Now don't misunderstand, the admiration that he has is not appreciation. It's just a stunning wonder that he has seen. And this Babylon is very similar to Nineveh. It has very similar characteristics to what is going on in it. So if you turn over to chapter 18, this continues about the destruction of Babylon. And some of you may be familiar with the song that we sing. It says, After these things I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become the habitation of devils, and the hold of every foul spirit, and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. That's Babylon is fallen, the song that we sing. That's where it comes from. And what he's saying here is this is a picture of the end of time whenever the Lord finally and fully puts down the city of man. You know, there's always a competition going on since the dawn of time. The city of God versus the city of man. And Babylon is the epitome of everything great that, that nature or the natural man has to offer. And here we find the Lord finally and fully puts it down. And there are some mournful songs going on 
while this is taking place. You'll see the similarities to this in, in the third chapter of Nahum in just a minute. Look at verse 9 of Revelation 18. The kings of the earth bewail the destruction of Babylon. The kings of the earth who have committed fornication and lived deliciously with her shall bewail her and lament her when they shall see the smoke of her burning. This is when the Lord comes back and he finally puts down all authority and power that's, that it, he's already over it, but he shows himself and puts it down. At some moment there, the kings of the earth will mourn for the fall of this wicked city of man. Standing afar off for the fear of her torment. And they say, alas, alas, that great city of Babylon, that mighty city. For in one hour is thy judgment come. You talk about swift destruction. Now there's other people that are crying out there. Look at verse 11. And the merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn over her. For no man buyeth their merchandise anymore. Everybody that's making money off of Babylon in the world cry out over the loss of Babylon. If you go on down to verse 17, for in one hour so great riches has come to naught and every shipmaster, that's, that's one that would carry travelers, and all the company and ships and sailors and as many as trade by sea stood afar off and cried when they saw the smoke of her burning saying, what city is like unto this great city? You see, the men of the earth are mourning over the destruction of this city. They're, they're thinking, I can't believe that it's going down. All of our good times that we had in Babylon, they're over. They cast dust on their heads and cried, weeping and wailing. Alas, alas, verse 19. That great city wherein were made rich all that had ships in the sea by reason of her costliness. For in one hour is she made desolate. <laughs> and then the tone begins to change. The scene shifts. Notice in verse 20, it says, Rejoice over her, thou heaven, and ye holy apostles and prophets, for God hath avenged you on her. And if you turn over to the 19th chapter, that continues. It says, After these things I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God, for true and righteous are His judgments. He has judged Babylon. And they're crying out in applause, rejoicing over the destruction of this wicked city that opposed God. For he hath judged the great whore, which did corrupt the earth with her fornication, and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And again they said, Alleluia! And her smoke rose up forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshipped God that sat on the throne, saying, Amen! Hallelujah. And a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants, and ye that fear him, both great and small, small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. You see, on one hand, the people of the earth are crying and, and mourning over the loss of Babylon, the great. <laughs> But in heaven, it's applause. Praise God. You got it, Brother Declan. It's applause. It's applause for the destruction of those that opposed God. And the same thing on a smaller scale is going on with Nineveh. In the third chapter, we see that there's applause going on. As I told you, it's a city of blood. It's a violent city. Look at verses 1 through 4 again. The noise of a whip. The noise of rattling of the wheels. Verse 3. The horseman lifteth up the bright sword. There's a multitude of slain. Verse 4. 
because of the multitude of the whoredoms of the well-favored harlot, the mistress of witchcrafts that sell nations through her whoredoms and families through her witchcrafts. Y'all catch that? This is the destruction of the family that's going on here. It's a city of blood. It's a city of deceit and full of lies. According to verse 8, it's a city of plunder. Notice it says, Art thou better than populous? No. That's a reference to Thebes, it is believed. That was situated among the rivers and had waters round about it. Ethiopia and Egypt were her strength and it was infinite. It looks like this city will never go down. No, nobody can ever stop the corruptness of this city. But she was carried away. Verse 10. She was plundered. I'm going to read to you another spot from uh, the book that I've really been enjoyed studying that deals with Nahum. And it says this. On a monument commemorating the first 18 years of his reign, I can't even pronounce this guy's name, but this particular king declared, listen to this, great number of them in the land of Kiri I slew, 260 of their fighting men I cut down with the sword. I cut off their heads. I formed them into pillars. I don't really understand that, but it sounds terrible. <laughs> he formed their heads into pillars. Bubo, son of Buba. I flayed or skinned alive in the city of Arbella and I spread his skin upon the city wall. They just get that picture in your mind. A man's skin. You know, you think about how people put, put a, a bear skin rug on the floor or they put deer antlers on the wall. These men were so wicked and cruel that they would skin people alive and put their skins up on the wall. I wouldn't sleep very good in a place like that, would you? They did. I flayed all the chief men in the city of Suru who had revolted, and I covered the pillar with their skins. Some I walled up within the pillar. Some I impaled upon the pillar on stakes, and others I bound to stakes round about the pillar. They really were fascinated with pillars, weren't they? <laughs> Many within the border of my own land I filleted, and I spread their skins upon the wall, and I cut off the limbs of the officers, of the royal officers who had rebelled. Ahibaba I took to Nineveh. I flayed him. I spread his skin upon the wall of Nineveh. 600 of their people in the city of Hulay, warriors I put to the sword. 3,000 captives I burned with fire. I did not leave a single one among them alive to serve as a hostage. Their corpses I formed into pillars. Their young men and maidens I burned in the fire. 3,000 of their people in the city of Tela I put to the sword. Many captives from among them I burned with fire. Some I cut off their hands and their fingers. And from others I cut off their noses, their ears, and their fingers. Of many I put out the eyes. I made one pillar of the living and another of heads. And I bound their heads to posts or tree trunks round about the city. <laughs> you imagine living in a city like that? These people were mean, cruel. And that's why it says there is none end of their corpses. They were a city of violence. And they stumbled upon their corpses. Listen to what it says here. Thousands of tablets uncovered in the Mesopotamian Valley show abysmal superstition or witchcraft in the city of Nineveh. Hundreds of sorcery incantations have been brought to light. Astrology flourished. For the Assyrians, the world was filled with omens to be found, listen to this now, in moths, swallows, pigs, scorpions, wild oxen, sparrows, doves, cows, rats, crows, worms, dogs, hens, grasshoppers, lambs, sheep, foxes, fish, snakes, jackals, Amulets of stones, plants, bones, and insects were worn to ward off evil spirits. These people were incredibly, 
incredibly superstitious. So you say, well, you kind of feel bad that the Lord had to judge them. These people, this society was corrupt. It was ruined. And in the final days of this city, you find that there were three failures. There was a failure of the army. There was a failure of the merchants. And surprisingly, there was a failure of the civil servants or the politicians. (laughs) In the third chapter here, you read in verse 13, listen to this. Behold, thy people in the midst of thee are women. Now, that's not a very politically correct statement today, is it? But what he's referring to the army, he's saying your army is made up of a bunch of women. <laughs> okay, now, when I, when I read that, I thought of the movement in our culture today to enlist women to fight in the military, which is horrible, horrible, cowardly. Amen. It's cowardly. Okay, this is how the society of Nineveh, had, how far it had gone. He said, your fighting men are just like a bunch of women. It made me think, you know, in the, in the last days of our nation, whenever that time does come, there'll probably be uh, an entire fighting force of women. <laughs> you think about that. Now, look, that's not a shot to the women. See, this is not the Lord throwing off on women. If you're a godly man or a woman... You want men to be biblically manly and you want women to be biblically feminine. That's how society has always worked at, the, at, at its best, you see. And sadly, we're living in a day and time where there's hardly any real men left. God help us. There's so much effeminacy. That's what was going on in Nineveh. They were known for homosexuality and for extreme effeminacy, which means... There were just not hardly any men left to be real, biblical, godly men. And look, you, you sisters who are looking for a biblical, godly man, I, they're out there. You just got to dig a little deeper for them. You see, they're out there. But it's just not as common anymore. And, and me preaching something about that, they would say terrible things about me just preaching that that's appropriate and that's godly. See, they were noted for effeminacy in the days of Nineveh. And basically the prophet's saying, your armies are made up of a bunch of sissies. How are they going to be able to stand? And not only that, verse 16, it says, thou hast multiplied thy merchants above the stars of heaven. Do you understand that the most successful nations in the world have been nations that encouraged and dominated, you might say, in trade and, you know, merchants and things like that. You know, capitalism is, a, is something that has caused the United States of America. One of the reasons that it has dominated for many, many years. You know, you, could, you need only look at a place like Russia that completely destroyed itself on communism or socialism to see how that will not work. Now, can capitalism be abused? Absolutely. In whatever level of capitalism or trade that they had in Nineveh, it was abused. Notice it says that the, they, thou hast multiplied thy merchants above the stars of heaven. You could go to Nineveh and get anything you wanted, buy anything you wanted, probably buy it on credit. You could do anything you wanted to do in Nineveh. It was all available there. And notice it says in verse 17, this is kind of funny. Thy crown, the crown means the politicians, the civil servants. Verse 17, thy crown are as the locusts. <laughs> Can we identify with that? You know, politicians were everywhere. They were lifetime politicians. That's all they did. 
civil servants, so to speak. And it's not to say that you can't be a politician and you can't be a civil servant, but they had abused this. There were so many. There was so much bureaucracy. Thy crown are as the locusts and thy captains as the great grasshoppers, which camp in the hedges in the cold day, but when the sun ariseth, they flee away. You know, in the good times, they're right there for you. I'll help you any way I can. I promise you the moon. But when the heat comes, when the hard times come, where are they? And in this day of destruction of Nineveh, they fled like grasshoppers. They fled like locusts. They scattered into the mountains. They scattered away and they were, they were no more. I think verse 18 is a reference to whatever terrible excuse for spiritual leaders they had. It says, Thy shepherds slumber, O king of Assyria. Thy nobles shall dwell in the dust. Thy people is scattered upon the mountains, and no man gathereth them. That, to me, that's a reference to their spiritual leaders, which they were, they were idolatrous. They didn't have any spiritual leadership. They sacrificed their children. It was a violent, very, very violent nation. And when it finally went down, when the nation finally was destroyed. And by the way, when I say the city of Nineveh, it was the nation of Assyria, the capital of the nation. So when it finally went down, it was destroyed. The history records that there was a lot of rain at that time. And by the way, that's referenced. The flood is referenced in the book of Nahum. But there was a lot of rain, abnormal rain in that period of time. And the, the river overflowed. And the foundations of part of the wall was completely undermined and it collapsed. And so the, the enemy could just walk right into the city through the collapsed area. And whenever the king, I can't remember his name and it's hard to pronounce, but when the king realized that he was about to die, he was about to lose, he gathered all of his concubines, his wives, he gathered his children, he gathered some of his generals and his money and his gold and his silver, and they went into a closed chamber and he lit it on fire and burned them all up, including himself. <laughs> It reminded me of Denethor, you know, from the Lord of the Rings, if any of y'all are familiar with that. But he burned himself up when he knew that it was over. And of course, it didn't, it didn't burn up the silver and gold. They plundered it and took it away. But who in the world can claim to be from Nineveh today? I tell you, that is a proof of the, the sovereignty of God, the true justice of God. He said, I will bury this nation. I will, I will put them so far under that nobody will even remember them. And nobody even knew it was there until the 1840s when they dug it up. It's amazing. He says, there is no healing of thy bruise. Thy wound is grievous. All that hear the brute, a rumor of thee shall clap the hands over thee. For upon whom hath not thy wickedness passed continually? Nahum is one of the most beautiful poetic prophecies of the Old Testament. And I want, to, I want to leave you with this thought. While the world mourned, while Nineveh mourned and cried out, and the merchants said, oh my goodness, and the kings and the armies, you know, the army here, a king's strength is his army. And so the army are just a bunch of sissies, and they can't even defend the city. And so while the, the army goes down and says, oh my goodness, and the merchants say, oh my goodness, what about our business and the spiritual leaders say, oh my goodness, you know, we can't, we don't have these people to, to follow us anymore. While they are mourning and crying and, and just mourning over the destruction of Nineveh, at the same time, God in heaven is clapping. Finally, this place is no more. <laughs> you think about the wicked cities of the world today where so many terrible things go on. 
things that we can't even imagine, things that we can't even see ourselves. The eyes of God are everywhere. He sees every bit of it. He knows everything that's going on, not just in those cities, but in your life and my life too. (laughs) It's very unnerving when you think about it that way. But the Lord will not let one of those cities escape His judgment. He either judges them now in this time or at the end of time, they're going to be dissolved. They're going to be completely broken up. And the worldly people that don't have the Lord in their heart will say, oh my goodness, I can't believe it. Alas, alas, this great city is, the great cities are dying and being destroyed. And in heaven, they will say, the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. (laughs) Hallelujah, hallelujah, praise be to God, yea and amen. They'll be clapping in heaven whenever those cities are completely destroyed. So don't lose hope. The next bad story, the next sad story is just right around the bend. It may be on your phone when you turn it off of airplane mode. (laughs) Another sad story, another terrible event, another terrible thing is going to happen. Until the Lord comes back, it's just going to keep going like that. But do not forget Nahum. Nahum prophesied the destruction of that city and it came. And if it doesn't come in this time, it's going to come at the end of time. And we'll rejoice. So... Young people especially, us older folks too. (laughs) Don't get so caught up in Nineveh or Babylon or the things of the world to think, well, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. (laughs) I want to be a part of it. You know, don't think that that's the greatest thing and all of the stuff that's going on in the world is happening over here in New York or L.A. or or wherever. You know, don't think, well, that's where I got to be to really feel like I'm a part of something. Those are some of the most wicked places on the planet. And you never know when their destruction is going to come. You never know. Nineveh was gone just like that. Everything was going on great one day. The government was doing their thing. The king was doing his thing. The merchants were doing their thing. Everybody was doing their thing. And within just a few short days, the enemy came, wiped it out, and it's buried in ash. And it is no more. So be content with where you are. Be content with what's going on in your life. Don't think there's more The grass is greener on the other side. It's not. Just praise the Lord for where you are and what you have. And don't forget, don't lose heart. Nineveh's destruction, Babylon's destruction is coming. We'll close our thoughts there from the book of Nahum. I hope that I didn't throw too much history at you. But the old saying, history repeats itself. (laughs) If you can't look around you today and see how Nineveh in one sense is still around and history is repeating itself, then you may need to wake up and realize what is going on around us. But we should take comfort and take hope that the Lord sees it all.